Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. We have Dr. Emma Barber, a gynecologic oncologist with Lurie Cancer Center, Northwestern Medicine, who uh, is on the phone line with us. Dr. Barber, I'm glad you made it. Thank you for joining us this morning. Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, for joining us. So, uh, you know, what we wanted to talk about and create some awareness about was uh, Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. And I had mentioned that 11,000 people in the U.S. are diagnosed with cervical cancer uh, every year. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what this is, how prevalent it is, and why it is uh, so important to be aware of this all. Yeah, I mean, I think cervical cancer is, um, you know, relatively prevalent, as you mentioned, in the United States, um, but much more prevalent globally. And the thing about cervical cancer that makes it really different than a lot of other cancers is it really is a disease of younger women. Um, So it is a cancer that can be diagnosed, you know, in women without sort of prevention efforts much earlier. Um, And it is a cancer that if it's caught at early stage is very, very treatable, very, very high cure rate. Um, But if we get it too late after it's metastasized, it actually, um, you know, can be really, really difficult to treat and, um, you know, not really treatable. So it's incredibly important to sort of detect uh, cervical cancer or pre-cervical cancer early. Are there uh, symptoms that you might have cervical cancer or is it just something which is found in testing? Yeah, it's, you know, um, if you have full-blown sort of cervical cancer, you can develop symptoms. Um, that could be things like pelvic pain or especially abnormal vaginal bleeding. And that vaginal bleeding can often be after intercourse is kind of the hallmark symptom. Um, but hopefully, you know, we wouldn't be diagnosing cervical cancer with symptoms. We would actually be picking it up on screening tests. Um, so, you know, things like pap smears when people are coming in for their regular um, exam, really pap smear and HPV testing. And this allows us to catch it even before it's cancer, or if it is cancer, catch it really early. Yeah. Is, uh, did uh, this kind of testing uh, fall off uh, as many other kinds of routine tests did during COVID because people weren't going out, didn't want to go out, didn't want to interact with people in laboratories uh, and, and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, most women undergo cervical cancer screening. So, you know, pap smear and HPV testing during their annual gynecologic exam. And the same way a lot of, you know, preventative health services were kind of stopped over COVID. Um, you know, this was another preventative service that was definitely we saw really decreases in, um, you know, screening frequency and things like that. Um, hopefully now as we come out of the pandemic and, you know, people are getting back into accessing healthcare that, you know, we hope that those will improve. I was, uh, you know, reading up on, you know, what are the top health issues for women right now? And, uh, you know, they, they are things like smoking, uh, diabetes, stroke, heart disease. I mean, things that really uh, affect uh, everybody. Are there, are there, you know, particular health issues that women should be uh, concerned about? Yeah, I think, um, you know, in in relationship to, to cervical cancer, 
we have gotten much better with, um, you know, pap smears, obviously, all of that, and being able to prevent it in this country, which is great, but we don't want to, you know, sort of fall off on that. That's why some of these other sort of heart disease, you know, diabetes, those sort of, you know, across gender risk factors sort of come up. Those things are not really associated with cervical cancer, although smoking is a really strong risk factor for cervical cancer. Really? Um, so an important thing that women could do to mitigate their risk. Really? Smoke, uh, is, uh, smoking uh, leads to a higher incidence of cervical cancer. Yep. Yeah. Pretty dramatic risk factor. And also for other HPV-associated huh. um, uh, cancers, smoking can really increase the risk. Yeah. What about non-cervical cancer uh, related diseases uh, for women. Which, which, what are what are some of the top diseases? I would guess that breast cancer certainly must still be pretty high on the list. Yeah, breast cancer is definitely the top um, the top uh, cancer you know of you know that women get. Um, another really important cancer for women is actually endometrial cancer or cancer of the lining of the uterus. This cancer has kind of been flummoxing us over the last sort of five years because we're actually seeing an increase in the incidence and an increase in sort of how deadly it is. Um, so that's definitely a, a women's cancer that's kind of on the rise that we're all sort of paying attention to. Uh, one of our listeners on our text line on 847 says, at what age do you stop getting pap smears? That's a great question. Um, the national guidelines recommend stopping at 65 in people that are well screened, though. So um, part of the you know new screening paradigm is really that we think 99.5 you know, percent, almost all cervical cancer is actually caused by the HPV virus. So we're really increasing our testing for the HPV virus um, and the, the pap smears that go kind of along with it. Um, for women who are 65 that have had regular pap smears sort of in the 10 years prior, um, they can exit from screening, meaning they don't need to get a pap smear anymore. But let's say that someone hadn't had a pap smear at all, you know, but they just happened to be 65 or they had one pap smear when they were 60, that person should continue to get uh, pap smears. So it's recommended to stop after 65, but only in people who have a history of screening. Well, quite a few uh, texters with similar questions uh, regarding the pap smear. Uh, one is, uh, do postmenopausal women need to get uh, pap smears? I guess that would relate to the ages that you were just talking about, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the average age of menopause in this country is 51. Um, and so for sure, you know, sort of 51 to 65, pretty much everybody should be getting, you know, pap smears. And, and the sort of frequency of those is dependent a little bit upon pap smear history. Um, after 65, some women may be able to sort of exit screening, but it really depends on their clinical history. So, you know, you have to be somebody that doesn't have a history of HPV or, you know, severe precancerous conditions, and you've been getting regular pap smears, so it's something to, to sort of consider um, with your doctor. But a lot of women after 65 may not need them anymore. Uh, Dr. Emma Barber is with us, gynecologic oncologist with the Lurie Cancer Center at Northwestern. What are what are the, the top issues that women are coming to see you about in your office? Yeah, we see, you know, I would say um, one thing that, you know, we haven't talked about vis-a-vis -vis cervical cancer that is that is really important that's been very um, cool to see is actually we have a lot more people now who've gotten vaccinated 
against the HPV virus. And we know that this is very, um, you know, strongly protective against cervical cancer. Pretty much all cervical cancer comes from HPV. So if you, if you are vaccinated against cervical cancer uh, or against HPV, that'll really decrease the risk of cervical cancer. So what I am seeing a lot more of now is women who are younger that have actually been vaccinated. And the HPV vaccine does all of the, you know, nine, depending on which vaccine, but the most common one, nine or 11 different HPV viruses. Um, and so we're starting to see women who actually are, are getting the HPV virus, but not one that is covered by the vaccine. Um, and so that's something that we are really following these women very closely, um, you know, to make sure that, you know, cervical cancer doesn't develop. Um, but those those strains of HPV may be less aggressive. So that's that kind of an interesting thing that's been happening now is kind of these less aggressive HPV viruses and people have had the vaccine, what do we do um, in terms of just really checking on them pretty frequently? Yeah, so that's would, been something I've been seeing more of. I would imagine that there are you know strides being made all the time. Uh, I'm more familiar be- through uh, special programs that we've done on breast cancer of the uh, mammoth uh, improvements in the treatment of breast cancer. Uh, over the over the years, I would imagine that in your field also you must be seeing advances all the time as well to help women. Correct? Yeah, I think, and I think the main areas of advances in cervix cancer have been sort of on the prevention side, with you know HPV vaccination and then better screening tests. Um, you know, for who's really at risk for cervical cancer and cervical precancer. On the totally opposite end of the spectrum, you know, we talked a little bit at the beginning about women that already have, you know, metastatic disease, cervical cancer that spread. And, you know, maybe five to 10 years ago, we really did not have a lot of options. We had, you know, sort of chemotherapy and the the rates of it working were really low. And we've been really excited in cervix cancer as well as other cancers, sort of the emergence of immunotherapy or other targeted therapies um, that we're seeing, you know, really a lot of benefits. Uh, for patients. Uh, here is uh, the 773 area code. Is there a benefit for a 65-year-old woman to get an HPV vaccine? That's a great question. Right now, um, insurance is sort of covering or they think the benefit is up to people who are 45. However, there's a specific population, which is women that have a history of severe precancer. And we actually do recommend the HPV vaccine um, for all of those women because it decreases the risk of um, severe precancer recurrence by up to 50%. Um, but in somebody that has no history of, you know, severe precancerous changes or anything, um, wouldn't be recommended, but up to 45 would be. And the 847 area code said, if uh, my, my mother had cervical cancer, Am I predisposed to having it as well? We don't think so. Um, And this is something we're always learning more and more about. um, But we don't think so, at least right now. Okay. Well, that's uh, I guess that's good news for uh, the woman who is texting in and uh, asking, I guess, is it hereditary, basically, right? Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, we don't we don't think so at this point. It's really, um, you know, sort of about that HPV virus and and kind of staying on top of that virus. Most people's bodies, um, immune systems will get rid of HPV. Pretty much almost everyone in this country has had HPV at some point. Um, And so the question is kind of, 
each individual's body's immune system and how it interacts with that virus. Um, and if basically um, the, the virus stays around for too long, it can cause those precancerous changes. So we think that's the key sort of risk factor. Well, I'm glad we were able to uh, talk about this a little bit this morning and create some awareness. Uh, obviously, if you still have uh, questions, uh, the best thing to do is uh, get a hold of your own doctor or your uh, ob uh to get information on it. I'm glad that you could join us, uh, Dr. Barber, Dr. Emma Barber, Gynecologic Oncologist, Lurie Cancer Center, Northwestern Medicine. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and uh, putting out some great information this morning. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks, doctor. You too.